cliffcentral.com. On EcliffCentral.com. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is uh, Andrew Levy. I'm Rory Savala. Hi, Rory. You're very soft. Eh? Try that again. I'm Rory Savala. Hello. <laughs> now, we've got to apologize before we start the show because whatever Ben played, that Barbara Streisand <laughs> bullshit was horrible. I'm so sorry about that. I apologize to any listener of this show that entered a Friday with Barbara Streisand. It was absolutely disgusting. But it fits in with the show, right? It does New not York, fit in. What? New York state of mind. Uh, We're New talking York. about illegals. We're not and talking Sting about... Comes in. Sting oh, comes in. Uh, he speaks about uh, being an, uh, an alien. Do you see, you you see, see how, how you're trying to uh, bring these things together? No, We're we not talking to. about a sailboat nose here, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. Anyways, um, but you are right that the Sting song did have some kind of of uh, reason to be played on the song uh, illegal aliens we were speaking about xenophobic xenophobic attacks and xenophobia last week and i think you you know we were talking about it throughout the week and some of the interesting observations that that you made was people are not angry about foreigners supposedly mm. well well look it was a concerning way to 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 end it um because I felt like South Africans were saying, look, we don't have problems with foreigners. Um, what we do have a problem with is the illegal immigrants. So in other words, the violence is not a problem so much uh, if, if the people are here legally. But if they're here illegally, then uh, so be it. So it was, it was just a very interesting place where it landed. It didn't end at a place where we were like, this is wrong. It must stop. It was like, no, no, no. The illegal ones might actually deserve this. So that got us thinking, that, right, yeah. about the illegals. And what is illegal? What is not illegal? What is wrong that is illegal? And what is illegal that is wrong? Um, and what's the difference? I know that that's a tongue twister. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure I understand what I just said. But um, the, we, we thought, why not do an entire show on illegal and the illegal nature of people? Yeah. And, and in essence, is it is it wrong because it's illegal or is it illegal because it's wrong? Because ah, there you go. You see, you, you got it right there. Well done. Yeah, I mean, these things are not are not the same, right? So. We just assume that things are things things are wrong because they're because they're deemed illegal. But is that always the case? Um, and the people that we we have joining us today, I think, are going to really take our minds to really explore this issue of you know is it is it is it wrong because it's illegal or is it illegal simply because it's wrong? So you can uh, join the conversation. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight six one five 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 one eight nine. What do you think about the illegals and uh, illegal activities that are happening in South Africa at the moment? moment uh, are there things in your mind that shouldn't be legal that are illegal today i know i know weed's going to come up um, i know weed's going to come up. so just put it out there uh, you can tweet us at yebo underscore levy at cliffcentralcom at 
R Shabalala. And that's a lot of Alalas. It's, it's not R Shabalala. It's Rory Shabalala. Is it Rory Shabalala? Yes. You see, I'm getting it wrong. R-O-R-I. So, and then Shabalala? T-S-H-A-B-A-L-A-L-A. You're not related to the guy that scored the goal, right? We won't get in there. Uh, you can also WeChat the show as well. We want to hear from you. What do you think um, should be legal that is illegal right now? And what do you think that uh, isn't illegal that should that be? That should perhaps be. Yeah. And, and it was interesting when we were looking at, at some of the funny things that, that are illegal around the world, Andrew. There were, there were a lot of things that popped up. There was oh, like, man. In some places in the United States, it's illegal to eat fried chicken with your hands. Um, Obviously, (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna do we're gonna do a whole bunch of that. uh, We're finding out some laws and that you might not have known in this land specifically uh, that are absolutely illegal. There's some there's still in our constitution in our law today. There's still lashings that you could potentially have. You could potentially have exactly. Oh lord, we're gonna have to find out about that. We're also you know one of the interesting things that that always comes to mind for me is during these xenophobic attacks, we've heard from. We've heard from someone, the victim, right? We've heard from someone whose mm. whose shop got looted, and and that's horrific. But what about the person that actually crossed the border illegally and hasn't been involved in the xenophobic attacks per se, mm. but is an illegal immigrant? What do they have to say? What are they feeling right now? Um, so we're going to be speaking to someone uh, about that as well yeah. uh, in the show, as well as uh, an activist, yeah, I mean, call him an activist. Uh, he's got, he's a man of many titles, wears, wears a lot of hats. Um, and, and it will be interesting because he, he decided to go illegal at a time when, um, it was, it was, you know, it was totally against everything that society and so on believed. Uh, he was a priest. Uh, a priest who decided that he was going to cross the line, go illegal, and and join the anti-apartheid struggle. He hid some of uh, the famous anti-apartheid activists in his house, you know. So it was it was quite a it was quite a big step uh, for him to move from the space of being legal. I mean, he was in the free state for Pete's sake. He was in the free state, <laughs> and he decided that he was going to join this anti-apartheid movement. As a priest, so he decided to go not just against the law of the land, but even the laws of God in certain ways by lying and and making sure that he's hiding these fugitives. Uh, we we might look at him right now as as a as as a hero. So it then raises the question: um, Are there certain are there certain illegals that are justified, and there are there others that uh, are not justified? And who gets to decide? The interesting thing as well, Ron, I wanted to get your opinion on this, is what do you think about um, illegal immigrants just generally? Um, are you are you happy as a South African that there are so many illegal immigrants, supposedly so many illegal, and we'll, we'll unpack how many illegal immigrants there actually are in South Africa at the moment. But But are you happy? Does it affect you in any way? My favorite statement these days, of course, is uh, is is wicked problem. I think it's a wicked problem. Two two things to say about that is that the first thing is who set these borders up, right? These borders are a, a figment of the colonial imagination. Uh, they they divided this and they, they they divided it amongst themselves. This continent of Africa. So so is there really a foreigner in in Africa and can anyone really be illegal in Africa? 
on the other side, all the, however, we still have a country, right, that has to that has to support all of the people within within its borders. And if you have so many people coming in, and we have such lax lax immigration laws, it allows and it creates the situation that we've seen, where we've got a, a lot of people fighting over or needing to be supported by very limited resources. Remember that our tax base is actually very small as well. So if our tax base is that small, it's not growing, but our population keeps growing all the time it's bound to create a problem in the in the, in the future but you know having said that a lot of illegal immigrants are are making this country better in a way i mean if you think about their circumstances they come from the congo zimbabwe um you know you don't see many people from botswana here that's because botswana is <laughs> bawling right now but mm. i mean the places that they come from are, are dire. There's wars. There's there's huge poverty there. So when they come here, they really want to succeed. They have to. There's no choice. And, and so they're yeah. actually growing the economy because they're building businesses. And that's what's always been said about the hunger and the passion, for example, of Nigerians. You know, they say, look. I'm here. I don't have a fallback, right? So I don't have a grant. There's no plan B. There's no plan B. Mm. This is my plan A, and I need to make sure that I make it work. I think the other thing for us to consider is, you know, how easy we tend to so flippantly say these people are illegal, as if as if they woke up one morning and said, hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to just uh, today decide to go illegal. I'm going to leave everything I have in this country of mine, mm. uh, whether it's Zimbabwe, whether wherever it is. I'm going to leave this For place, the promise and land. I'm just going to go to South Africa and live. I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't end up here and go and stay at the Michelangelo, right? So they go and they live in townships and so on, and they work themselves up. So w- we need to examine why we find it so easy to simply declare that people are illegal and, and, and what gives us the justification to, to just declare a person illegal. All right, so let us know your thoughts on legality of people in in South Africa specifically. Um, give us a, a shout on WeChat. I see quite a few notifications coming through about what people think should be legal and illegal. Some of them are very funny. Um, so we'll get to that a little bit later. But what are your thoughts on illegal immigrants coming into this country? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And is it really illegal? Um, we have got... Um, uh, and in inverted commas, an illegal immigrant on the line. Um, for, for the sake of his security, we've changed his name. Um, so we're going to call him Mlu, uh, for the moment. Yeah. And Mlu joins us from Johannesburg, uh, talking to us. He's from Bulawayo. Mlu, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? Well, very well. We're very good. We're very good. We, we're talking about, um, uh, illegal immigrants and people who cross borders, um, illegally. Uh, and what they've, what they had to go through to get there. Um, you, you, of course, uh, have crossed the border from, from Zimbabwe. Give us a little sense of, of what it was like growing up in Zimbabwe as a young, as a young Mlu. Well, um, it's very much difficult, uh, looking at the economy of that country. So, especially if you are being raised, if you were raised by a single parent like me, when my father passed away, when I was very deathly. So it's very difficult um, life, very tough to teach you other stuff, you know, that you have to stand up as a man at a young age, do you understand? Mm. So it's very difficult, and then you have to, uh, from school, you have to do your homework, uh, straight up, you need to make ends meet for, to put food in the table. It's, it's, it's very difficult, I tell you. 
So, so Mlu, yeah. at what age did you decide to, to, to cross the border, at least the line, and go from legal to illegal? How old were you? I think I was around 1920 on my early, nine, yeah, early 20s. I think I was 19 to 20, going for my 20th. And, and before us, can, before that, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your, your, your life, your home situation? Um, what did your parents do? You know, did you enjoy, did you enjoy being in Zimbabwe? What, what made 19 the time that you decided? Because you could have moved at 15, maybe you could have waited until you're 25, but at 19, you took that stand and you said, I'm leaving. What was it? How was life before that? Uh, The reason why I had to move it, it, it's an early age. I mean, if you're around 19, you have to be enjoying life, you know, being a teenage age. That's a teenage age, right? But I, I had a choice either to sit back and look at my siblings going to bed hungry and look at my mother, you know, struggling to put food to pay school fees and clothes. Out. So I had to make a choice as I was going, and you know what, this is time for me to move on and, and try to help my mother and my siblings. You know, so the, the thing that I'm fascinated about, Rory and Mlu, like, is... You know, when I was 19, life was yeah. relatively good, uh, I'll be honest. Mm, and mm. I just think about my mentality back then. To think about moving countries by yourself, that must have been like, that, that's a, I, I can't even fathom what that must have been like. Mlu, like, give us a sense, you know, like, what was going through your mind that moment, that day, if you can remember it, that you decided, ah, I'm going to move. Bulawayo's, you know, Zimbabwe is not working for, for us as a family, for me as a person. And I'm going to try my best in South Africa. Yes. Uh, uh, what I thought, because it, it, it wasn't easy. Uh, if you've been to that uh, experience, it, it's hard to explain because then it brings back some memories that I can't, you know, that are very bad. So I had to make a choice that the man that I was using for my needs, rather go to my siblings, and then I try also to help in the house and other stuff. So I had to, you know, I mean, to leave my siblings and my mother and, and my whole my whole life behind. It, it wasn't an easy decision, but uh, it had to be done. It had to be done. So, 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 Mlu, you you said the memories that you you can't even uh, uh, think about. Do do you mind just yeah. uh, helping you know help us paint a picture of of some of those memories for us so that we can just have a better sense uh, of of the situation you're in? What was happening? What was it? What was that thing that 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 eventually said enough is enough for you? Yeah, especially first of all the the the, the hunger, the the current the currency of the the money of the value dropping, you know, mm. like if you, the, the, the money changes, there to be, um, there was check, if you remember the there check, and the, there were, you have to change, to use, uh, Botswana money, you have to use South African money, everything was just a mess. You can't even have a, a 10 grand and buy a bread with it, you know, shops were just empty. Mm. You know what I'm There was no, uh, ways of income that you're gonna go and look for a job, the firms were closed down. The farms, they were being taken over. I mean, it was terrible. It was terrible. And, and it was very bad. You speak about the devil's check. That's an interesting term. Tell us tell us a bit about that. It was the, the money that was introduced by the, the government, so-called government, that maybe it's going to help. But actually, it, 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 it was way back, like two steps backwards. 
Mlu, on your way to, so you've decided now, you know, enough is enough. I'm now making my way to South Africa. I'm leaving Bulawayo. Uh, so you start the journey. T- take us, take us to that moment when you started the journey. You know, how was it? Where did you go? What was the first thing that you did? Who was the first person you spoke to? Did you say goodbye to your parents and to your family? And, um, did you know anyone in South Africa at that time? Uh, quite honestly, I was terrified. I don't know what, what to expect, what it looked like, you know. I, I heard stories like the, the limbo, um, the river that is going to be full and it, it usually takes people away on the water, the crocodiles and stuff. So I was kind of terrified. So I didn't want to give my mother the fright of, or the thought of like losing her child. So I didn't tell anyone. Hmm. Just, uh, up and left. So not expecting one, you know, to find here. Is it a nice country as they say it was, or as we see on TV? So I, I really didn't expect like uh, much. So I said, you know what? Whatever happens, let it happen. I, I just have to do it. You know. What did you? What so, did you? I, I mean, this is this sounds like a stupid question, but I, I want to try and understand. What did you? What did you take yes. with you? Uh, nobody. I just like my bag, with toiletries only, and then I, then I went to this guy. They call himself Malaysia. So he's the one who helps uh, people cross the border with that uh, white paper. And and how did you cross? I mean, like South Africa prides itself on having a, a good border patrol, and and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, the army is now helping out uh, with the borders. How did you cross? Where did you cross? Was it on foot? What was the story? It, it um, you know, in South Africa. I'm not. I'm sure these guys they know they are with us and they've been doing this for their life on the face. So it's quite easy. That's why we use them many times because they know the rules and which uh, they're not used to change. But it was very difficult because I had to go like three hours on foot with no water supply and no food supply or anything. And the sun is standing hot. And the sun is standing hot. Mm. You know? <laughs> so it's very difficult. It was difficult. So, and there's no chance that you like go through the jungle uh, bush, there is nothing, you barely hear anything, you just hear birds in the sky, and there's nothing, you still find other things, lion comes and eats your life. So it was a terrible journey, I tell you, I don't wish that on anybody. And, and, and how much, yeah. how much, you speak about these Malaysias that help you to get into the country, how much did you have to pay them? And uh, where did you get the money if things were so terrible in, um, in Zimbabwe? In that time, of, that time I came by, I, they, they were saying it's like a thousand rand. So now if you check a thousand rand, um, uh, then like five years back or ten years back now, it was quite a lot of money of which us illegal people couldn't just get it from anywhere. Mm. You know what I'm so there was, uh, my sister, my, uh, my aunt's daughter, she's the one who was trying to help me out, but then it took a week to pay that money because they always come and said, okay, you're going to take a TV. We're going to take a switch. We need our money. Mm. So there was nothing else you can do. You can't go to the police because, you know, it's going to be a lot of things involved. So it's just to pay them, like, every day, 200 rand, 100 rand, 300 rand, up until she finishes it. And then they wouldn't release me until she finishes the money. So I had to stay in their basement, like, buying me uh, bread, brown bread. I had to eat that with water. So it was a terrible uh, experience. I, I don't want to go back to that again. Oh, I wish... Nothing like, like that happens to anybody, you know. I mean, this is the interesting thing, right? Because everyone's everyone's talking about illegals, these illegal people. 
and and people forget the stories that some people have to to partake to get here yeah. to actually make yeah. it into this border i mean we've got some people on wechat speaking to us some fundo says um or veronica says this Luca even had to change his accent to south, to feel more south african um Lou, like the moment you arrived yeah. in south africa i mean now you're 19 you you arrive on the other side of the border then what what did you do what was the next thing that you did I, I do, like I said, I didn't know what to expect or what kind of place it was like. It took me another three years to actually know the ins and outs of course, South Africa. So I had to rely on my sister, you know, stay inside close doors in case the police will see you and arrest you and send you back again. So it, it was like I was actually in a prison on my own home, you know, like my sister's house. So it was almost like a prison where you're not allowed to go out because it's if the police case you, they will know you like you're not South Africa. So, you know, the 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 experience that I went to actually drive us almost most of the people that are coming out of South Africa. The experience that the childhood that we grow up with, the experience that we experience along the way, it actually drive us to, to strive for more, to for a better life for ourselves and our our brothers and sisters back home. You know? How much blue how much um how much time have you spent in South Africa so far? So you, you, you arrived when you were 19. How old are you now? Now I'm 28. You're 28. So you've spent, you've spent nine years in South Africa. Yes, almost 10 years. Are you, are you now legal? Uh, I haven't because then by that time, uh, my passport wasn't ready to apply for a permit and stuff. So I had to wait another uh, two years for me to get a passport and then come back. By the time for applying for the permit, they were already issued out. So I was one of those that uh, was just fortunate. What, what are you most afraid of right now, Amlu? Like, what is, what's the thing that's scaring you most about being in South Africa? This situation, like, at hand right now, this xenophobia thing, it's actually, it's terrible, I tell you. It's not, it's not a good thing. That's what actually I'm afraid of. If I, I something happens to me, what happens to my child, my, my siblings, I mean, it's terrible. That's the only thing that like keeps me awake at night. And Mlu, yeah. how how what's the plan? So you you you've been here for nine years. Um, you've you you know you you are now in South Africa. Uh, your your family, I suppose, is still back home and is still is still facing the same issues that you you left. Um, what's the plan moving forward? Uh, where will you be in five years' time, and how are you going to make sure that happens? Actually, I, 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 I would like, I see myself going back at home and like never coming back here. Like, I'm just giving myself the capital of maybe three years from now. Cause if this thing happens, it happened last year, I think it was 2012, xenophobia. And it happens now again. What if next time it happens, it's going to be worse? So right now, my focus is on making whatever ends that I make to me and then go back home to my family. I think the, yeah. the the one thing I wanted to ask you was a lot of South Africans are complaining that um, you know these foreigners are taking our jobs. Um, you work in the restaurant industry. Do do you feel like the you know the foreigners are taking South African jobs, or are South Africans not wanting to do those jobs? Not at all. No, it's not like we 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 taking their jobs actually. Because now, if if all of my years that I've been here or worked here, I've never seen any. Uh, South African 
working in the scannery or washing dishes or scrubbing the floors. Do you understand? I, I'm not sure if it's pride or anything, but me, myself, and I, understanding the situation that I went through, I had to start from somewhere to be where I am today. I couldn't start being a manager. I had to start by being at the gate, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had to start from somewhere. I had to scrub those floors. I had to wash those uh, dishes. I had to be shouted at, you know, cold names, of which I couldn't do anything because they know that I, I don't have the right papers. Mm-hmm. Getting underpaid, uh, like, you know, peanuts that you can't barely live on. You know, job equipment is the most expensive thing in transport. So basically, I, I, I was hardly surviving on that salary. What were you getting so paid out of interest? Pardon? What were you getting paid? How much have I been paid? Mm-hmm. Yes, when, uh, by that time, I think it was a thousand rand or one point two. That was per month. At the moment. No, at that time was it one thousand one thousand yeah. rand per month? It was one thousand. Yes. Mlu, you know, you now know. you have to feed yourself and you have to do for transport and also have to think of your siblings back at home. You know, so you yeah. end up. Yeah, that's why you find many times that people are living in one apartment that there are four or five trying to squeeze in the money of the rent so they can have something to send back home. Mlu, um, you know, we, when we speak about, and, and the reason why we, we, we thought to start a conversation like this one today was, you know, when we when we speak about um, these foreigners or illegals, you know, we speak about it as if they're non-human and so on. Can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, who are your role models? What, what are your dreams, Mlu? If, 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 if you had a choice and, and money was not an issue, what would you be doing? What was your childhood dream? What did you want to become? Who, who is your role model? Okay, uh, the, the person that I am today is because of my mother. She told me, you know what, the, the, the only thing that you can do, my child, is to sit on your hands, think out of the box, and use your hands. So, as I was going up, okay, I know, okay, I have to do this and this, I have to, to, I can't find work, obviously there was no, uh, work that I could find, so I had to rely on my hands and my, my mind. So I used to create, uh, kind of meals to sell in the, you know, beer halls. You know, the shopping, I would sell cigarettes and stuff, so come back home with something. So ever since then, I never stopped using my hands and my brain. So as I, uh, right now, I'm doing baking, you know. So I, I, I do this artisan bread right now. So my role model is my mother. If she hasn't told me what she told me, I wouldn't be here right now, you know. Um, we've got uh, some people calling on, on or typing on calling. <laughs> Look at me, typing on on WeChat here. Um, Veronica says, "Is Imlu paying tax?" Imlu, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. So one of our one of our listeners says, "Was asking, do you pay tax?" Well, I, I you know, if the company that I'm working for. Is not registered. Obviously, that automatically means I'm not paying. But if they register me, then they to. There was a time whereby the companies were asked to register the, all their employees, run down the letter, and send them with them to home affairs. But of which my company didn't do that. So, on my sense of knowledge, I don't think I'm paying. All right, Malu, thank you so much for your honesty and thanks for joining us here. It's uh, amazing to hear your story and we wish you all the best and uh, all the best thank with you so your, your dreams going forward and hopefully you will return to a better Zimbabwe, a place uh, where you can actually make an amazing, amazing living and it sounds like you've got a, a crazy skill so hopefully you can use that. Yeah, thank you so much, eh?
Thank you so much. At some Lou, he is based in Johannesburg, an illegal immigrant, the voice of an illegal. How do you unpack that? It's, you know, these things are always uh, weighty when you realize that you're talking about real people. You mm. know, th- this is not a guy who wanted to leave. I mean, imagine, Andrew, at, at 19, you have to leave your mom, you have to leave your siblings. And he you didn't have even to tell his mom. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine? You know, and night she, loves you tomorrow and then oh next my goodness. You know? And can you imagine your mom in the morning wakes up, comes to your bed and realizes that you're gone? You know, it's, it's, these are real people. So th- this thing that we, we just say, you know what? These people are just illegal. I think you, you, you think twice before you, you label a person illegal now. Mm. Um, when you've heard stories like Mlu's. Uh On WeChat, Temba says, I don't support xenophobia, but where's the benefit to South Africa if uh, people like the Pakistanis are opening businesses and they don't pay tax? I mean, the question is, is South Africa benefiting from, let's say, an illegal uh, immigrant opening up a business, a store? And the very easy answer is to say no. But who is that person employing? A lot of the time it's South Africans. Yeah, so, I mean, is that even the right question to ask? Uh, you know, you're talking about a person who didn't come here because he wanted to benefit from South Africa. He he came here almost a refugee, mm. right? So things weren't good and he left. So it's not fair, I think, to, to say, you know, are we benefiting? So if we're not benefiting, this guy must leave. Um, I think South Africans, I, I feel every, we, every now and then we need to consider that you know, we haven't lived out our whole future. Who knows where we'll be in 10 mm. years' time, you know? Can you imagine uh, in 10 years' time us needing to maybe seek refuge in Zimbabwe? Uh, how would we expect to be treated and, and, and how would we expect uh, the people there to, to, to consider us? Should they say, oh, you're not adding any value to this society, therefore we aren't, we aren't going to have you in our country? Or should they look at us as people who uh, have run out of luck and uh, need help? I'm worried about the tax like, question as well and statement. Are they paying tax? Because how many South Africans are paying tax right now? You know, the tax base is tidy in South Africa. So if we start using that, we're going to get ourselves into huge amounts of trouble. But Veronica, look, I get where Veronica is coming from, right? So again, uh, we've got limited resources that need to be to be shared amongst uh, a lot of people. So so it is a problem. It's it's causing a problem. So mm. we need to understand again that that old that statement I keep saying it's a wicked problem. It's not an easy thing to solve. Mm. We need to we need to stretch out a hand uh, of Ubuntu and say that uh, you know I am because you are come in. You know in in Sesotho there's a saying that banabamoto bangato khana troyajie. Uh, direct translation means that um, uh, uh, siblings share the head of a the head of a of 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 a, of a grasshopper. So if they had to eat that, ah, they, they share that. they share just that. And uh, you know, should we should we really should we extend that spirit as well to say, look, whatever little there is, uh, it needs to be shared if 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 the situation is as dire as it is in Zimbabwe. And that's why the grasshopper population in in Free State is so poor at the moment. You know, the Mfundo says uh, brings a good point: is how how if these people don't have papers, these illegal immigrants don't have papers, how are the police going to track them if they do in, in fact create or, or do a crime? Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. Now, talking a little bit about your point of the future, we're, you know, we don't know what the future holds. Maybe we'll be seeking refuge in Zim in 15, 20 years time. Let's look back at our past. It wasn't that long ago when there was a certain sector of South Africa that was completely illegal. And, you know, what do we do then? 
Mm. Um, and what did our African brothers and sisters do then? Do at the time, yeah. And uh, I, I think uh, a question that we're asking even today on the show is, you know, which of these two people would you assist if they came to you asking for help? If, if Mlu knocked on your door today and said, listen, I've just arrived uh, from Zim, um, I need your help, uh, would, you, would you help him? Or would you help the person that we're going to be speaking to next? So on the line uh, from Cape Town is a gentleman by the name of Sidney Luckett. Um, he was an activist back in the day, also a priest, I believe. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, Uncle Sid, good morning. Hi, how are you, Rory? Fantastic. How are you? No, I'm great, thanks. So it's nice over here in your conversation there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sydney, uh, you, you, you're from uh, the Free State, um, uh, originally a white guy growing up in apartheid South Africa. Let's just talk a little bit about your childhood. Was there any kind of cognizance or consciousness of the illegal activities that were happening in South Africa as you were growing up? Um. No consciousness of illegal activities at that point. I, I mean, I was conscious of this vague thing called apartheid, and I saw some, uh, I encountered some things in the free state, which I thought was a little unfair, but uh, it wasn't something that was really, really striking. So then, what was it then that uh, that 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 made you to decide? That turned you. That, yeah. <laughs> w- what is it that you know you were you were just you were just a, and you didn't really need to get involved. You white a white young man. You could have gotten on with your life, and then at some stage you start getting restless. What 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 made you young and restless? Um. What made me young and reckless? Restless. Uh, I think I was always been reckless. <laughs> not, not politically reckless. I, I did want to play rugby for Springboks, and I think that's a pretty reckless ambition. But, what um, made you? What made you restless about the situation? Okay, um, look, I, I, from the Free State, from a, a well-known school, Grey College, which actually has Bram Fisher on the honours board, yeah. uh, and did even in those days. Um, I went to, so there was some dissidence in the free state in which I came across from time to time. But I went down to Stellenbosch University, and there I began to get very uncomfortable with the very blatant racism that I saw there. And, and I could go into many stories of that. There's sheer hypocrisy. Um, after trying to address that in different ways, through science teams, associations, etc., I I got frustrated and decided to, I wanted to get out of South Africa. Fortunately, I got a scholarship to go to Oxford, and there, for the first time, I met black South Africans who were my equal or better academically. They were all exiled. Mm -hmm. Many of them, I think most of them probably, they didn't say it openly, but many of them were members of the ANC. Some had come off Robben Island, and that raised my consciousness about what was happening in South Africa, discussions with them. But it took um, coming back to South Africa, and I came back as an, uh, in order to be ordained, not necessarily to be a priest, but I wanted to work in, in, in squatter settlements. That was some very strong, I don't know where that comes from. Um, but um, it was my experience in a squatter camp at the end, edge of Cape Town, uh, crossroads. Crossroads still exists and it's mm. grown bigger and bigger. There's some now formal houses, but then it was completely shacked. Mm. And the uh, experience of, of 
working with those people and realizing, as you mentioned earlier in your conversation, that these people are now illegal. They were illegally there. That's why they were living in, in crossroads. They were, they were regarded as citizens of another country. Of course, in those days, uh, the Transkai, et cetera, were regarded as separate countries. Mm, it was a completely, mm. it was a fiction, actually, but, mm. but that was the case. So they had to have permits to come down to Cape Town to live and work, and they could only do that for 11 months, and then they would have to go back again and renew in their country, much as we do today. Um, if, you want, if you're a British citizen coming into South Africa, you can't just get a job here. You have to go back to England to, to apply for your job and then come back. But, of course, all this is arranged because the mining companies had arranged all this. So there was no uh, difficulty there. They got cheap labor for it. Mm. So I'm coming across people then who, who came down illegally. Lots of them were women. Lots of them wanted, the women wanted to be with their husbands who'd come down here trying to eat out some kind of living. But I remember very vividly, um, and as well, I'll never forget this, working, encountering this guy who came to a clinic. I was based at a clinic which was set up actually by a white doctor from, from our local parish. And I, um, and people used to come there for treatment, various things, and we tried to help him in other ways, so I was there assisting. And this guy came, and, and he didn't have a pass. But he wanted to get a pass because all he wanted to do was live and work and send money home where two children had already died. Mm. So I accompanied him. I went from pillar to post in what was then the bunch of areas. I think they'd changed their name by then. A, uh, a cooperative and development, they called it then, um, uh, department. And three weeks of going from one place to another, I could not get a permit for this guy. Then I realized it's no point trying to help individuals. Somehow the whole system has to change. Mm, so that then, of course, led me into deeper issues. So so that that's the interesting moment in your life. So you are... A priest at that stage, um, yes. and and you now have to decide. W- were you married at that time? Yes. So so you you're married. You've got a family. You you you're a yes. priest, um, and you you are now deciding that you're going to go illegal, so to speak. Um, what was the first yeah. thing that you did? Who did you contact? How do you just uh, you know decide at that moment? You know how do I get involved and start to to go illegal against the laws of of the country? <laughs> the and, and what does illegal mean exactly? What did you do? Yeah, well, initially I didn't actually see myself as going illegal in that sense, um, but I did see that I needed to be involved in changing this whole system. Um, and and it grew. I mean, things grew. I at that stage it was the beginning of the 1980s that the United Democratic. There were there was lots of activity in the township. Um, lots of civic associations and others were being formed to resist various aspects of apartheid. They came together, as you might know, under this umbrella of the United Democratic Front. I then were helped to form a little Christian group that affiliated to that. We called ourselves the Ecumenical Action Movement to become part of that because that seemed to me the most effective way of resisting um, uh, the apartheid. So, and through that, of course, and through my constant, I was in, uh, in, in, in 
uh, Guguleh to Nyanga and Crossroads uh, daily. Some nights I was sleeping there because the people were constantly under threat. And of course, if you're doing that daily, you don't have to go and look for people. People come to you and they say to you, what about this, what about that? So eventually I, I find myself in a situation where I knew I was helping to get people out of the country. Um, and I knew that they were going, they were being recruited by the ANC. I mean, it was not. Um, so it was by one person, Comte, we call him, uh, Christmas Tinto, who's now uh, passed away. He, he made it quite clear that these guys were now going out of the country to join MK. So I saw, you know, I saw that was the only thing to do. The whole system was unjust. And and people were suffering. People's children were dying in the Transkei because of it. And they couldn't get work. I mean, perfectly capable people couldn't get work um, in, in Cape Town because they didn't have the past. That's, that's all. That was preventing them. Um, so it just seemed natural, a kind of a organic development, if you like, of, of consciousness that I got drawn into this and decided this is the way to go. But of course, the, the, the key point comes when one person who was introduced to me as a trade unionist, um, I soon realized, and he, had, uh, he confided because we were introduced as a trade unionist on the run from the Eastern Cape. So I was actually living, I was living in Bishop's Court, strangely enough. I was living in a little garden <laughs> cottage there with my family. <laughs> so we brought this guy in. Um, and he uh, slept in my study because we only had one bedroom. He slept in the study, and um, and then he began to talk about ANC, and I realised he's, he's he's in MK. Um, he took a risk trusting me with that information. And um, can I guess who it was? Sorry, can I guess who it was? Yeah, you can. <laughs> I've got a feel. It's it's it's. You see, you gave away his MK, so it's not... I don't know if Steve Vico was ever in MK, but I think it might have been Chris Harney. Did you yeah, house I'm Chris not, Harney? Sorry, I met Chris later. Okay. Uh, the, the person at that time, it was Tony Yangani, but he introduced himself oh, as wow. Ray. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think of Tony right now? I mean, has your has your thoughts changed on the man? Um, you know, I just feel it's really sad the way things have gone. I, I feel very sad the way things have gone, not only with him and, and but many others, because Tony was an exemplary person in those days. I mean, his discipline was exemplary, and he took no nonsense. I, mean, I remember having to drive him around town to go meet certain people, um, and if they weren't there within two minutes, tough luck, we went. We weren't going to hang around because it might be... Um, you know, the, the, the cops could have set up an ambush for us. They might have captured that person. So you're living on a bit of an edge there. I also organized some money for him to get a car, and that was from Danish donors. Please don't say this too loud. <laughs> <laughs> so you started this. You yeah, started. Now we know where it started, Sydney. All right, okay. I, I'm interested you know, to... Sydney, I'm interested to know, just uh, before we let you go, unfortunately time is against us, was there right. ever a moment in, in the late 80s where you've been housing these these supposed illegals for a number of years now, helping them get out of the country, 
um, knowing that they're going to join MK. Then we see, you know, the state of emergency, the propaganda that was pushed on the TV about how, you know, the, this, this ANC and, uh, this MK specifically are causing such chaos and, and, and being such a danger to society with bombing and, you know, uh, sabotaging as they called it. Was there ever a moment where you're like, did I do the right thing? Um, look, I didn't. The ANC was targeting, wasn't, there were occasional events where bombs were put in, in areas where there were lots of, um, people, and so there was, um, uh, people were killed. Um, but the ANC initially was targeting certain installations and quite careful about that. And, and I got to know all about this, of course. So, but of course, it then creeps over to this and you begin to wonder about certain things. But the most that I wondered about was how effective was the military action at that point in time? Because the UDF, the mass action seemed to me a very effective and so was the overseas pressure. Did we really need an MK? I actually discussed that with Chris at one point when I was in Zimbabwe and I had to leave with it. He, of course, justified the continuation. But, but it was something that even the ANC was considering seriously how effective are we? And in fact, they were not all that effective. And that's actually, in my view, uh, uh, then eventually led them to, um, to, comp- to, to negotiate with the regime. Uncle Sid, um, we, we were running out of time and there's so many questions. Yeah. I think we should try and get you back again just to, just to speak to you and to tell us all these stories. Um, but you have a family at that time, right? So you, you, you're, yeah. you're living yeah. in a, you're living in a white community and you're trying to yeah. look normal and to act normal. How, how, how was that? And what was the family saying? You've got the likes of Chris Harney coming to sleep, uh, in, in the house <laughs> around your kids. Um, the news right. says, the news say these guys are terrorists, but you, they're, they're, they're there with your kids. You even name your kid, uh, 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 your, 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 your child after, 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 after him. So uh, how, do you, how do you try and, uh, and, and, and look normal, um, particularly being a priest, um, while all this is happening? Look, my wife, Cassie, uh, uh, who you've actually met, was very supportive. She had actually gone with these illegal... Uh, she tried to get illegals back from the trans guy with, you know, people had been deported. She tried to come. She came back on a bus. She was arrested. She was nearly deported because she was a British citizen at that point. So they were fully, she was fully supportive. It was quite tough with the kids, especially when I was eventually arrested under Section 29, Internal Security Act, Solitary Confinement, Polsworth. Um, that I found very difficult to handle. And so, of course, did my wife find that difficult to handle. But there was never a thought that what we were doing was wrong. What we thought we were, we always were convinced that what we were doing was right. And um, we tried our best. And Kathy did a wonderful job in bringing up the children while I was running around in town. We didn't have cell phones. We couldn't keep in touch with one another in those days. We didn't know if I'm going to come home at night or not. But she was very solidly behind me. It was my distance, I mean, my, my parents, my, um, my uncles and aunts, etc. That were a problem. Sydney, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We're going to have to let you go now. Uh, Sydney Luckett, uh, speaking to thank us a little so much, bit about uh, what it was like to, to be part of the legal team, I suppose, helping uh, ANC and, and others um, actually live a life worth living in apartheid.
Yeah, it's fascinating, you know, that this was, you know, and I, and I know, I know him, you know, I, I know, I know the type of man he is and so on. And again, it just brings home the fact that this was, this was a human, you know, it was, it was a person who risked it all. He didn't have to. Mm. Uh, you know, in his case, he didn't have to. He could have pretended like none of this is happening, but yet he was there, um, and he risked it, and he put his family on the line, went into solitary confinement. Uh, you know, th- and these things, by the way, do leave deep scars, and 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 we need to look at that. Now, the question then comes back to, if 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 Uncle Sid uh, or Mlu were to knock on your door and ask for help, which of them would you help, and why is one illegal, uh, maybe slightly better than than another? I don't, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, because I think it, the, the question in my mind is where does this leave us? Um, something that you mentioned uh, a couple of days ago, which I love, uh, was are the laws of an oven being used to govern a microwave? And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting that we, we say that. I mean, is this whole border thing going to go out of fashion in a few years? Yeah, it's it's it. Uh, this this microwave and oven thing came about when we interviewed Seth Mazibuko in the last show, and uh, you know he said that this generation they were the generation of ovens and they're the generation of microwaves, and uh, you look at the laws today and say you know are some of them still relevant? I mean we we know that people we know that 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 a whole lot of people um, in Joburg at least uh, smoke weed. Why do we still have? Why do we still have the weed law? You know, you could, you could, you could get the similar effects from drinking cough mixture. <laughs> so, you know, are some of these laws relevant? I mean, we put that out to people. And some of the, the answers were, were very interesting. On, on WeChat, we had uh, Christian saying, uh, torrenting should be legal uh, if the broadcasters don't show the show. Um, now, torrenting is that thing, she's, I'm not a techie, but basically it's a, it's a, program illegal it's illegal downloading basically <laughs> yeah. yeah let's not hear. and i suppose you know one of the interesting things that he's speaking about the daily show for example who's going to have our friend trevor noah on as the main guy we can't get that in south africa so why shouldn't we be able to download that uh legally um you bring up weed is that a personal favorite of your own or <laughs> what's the th- <laughs> i mean which ones which laws right now would you say we'll forget about like uh I just think it's not pointless. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't have anyone specific, but I'm just thinking about, you know, we spoke earlier in the week about Germany and the Autobahn and mm-hmm. the fact that they don't have a speed limit on the, on the Autobahn and that, uh, you know, they have, they have a, a much lower accident rate to South Africa that has this 120 speed limit. So for me, it's any law that just seems arbitrary, you know. So the question is, why not 121? Why is it 120? Why not 130? I know, they've calculated you know? Yeah, well, what happens at 120? <laughs> you know, uh, and and that 120. When was it determined? Was it 10 years, 20 years ago before the cars? No, I feel like I got crazy at 119. I'm good, but 120 <laughs> things get out of control. You know, uh, Mark Oppenheim on Facebook said, um, "Here's an interesting law: the Witchcraft Suspension Act of 1957 is still in play today." He says it's a gem. Um, the punishment for calling someone a wizard uh, included lashings. Uh, ten lashings. So if you if you thought someone was a wizard or a witch, they could uh, they could be lashed ten times. That's now been that's fallen away because that was barbaric, you know. Uh, obviously, lashing people, corporal punishments. Have instead now you can still get ten years in prison 
for being Boy. a witch or a wizard. Wow. I think we need to interview some wizards. I'd love to know what their vibe is. To find them, but the problem is we can't refer them, <laughs> refer to them as wizards. <laughs> so otherwise we're going to jail. So it's going to be a, w- a weird interview. Wrapping up this illegal thing. I mean, we, we've, we've heard from, from South Africans who are angry about the, the illegal immigrants coming in. We've heard uh, from Mlu, one of the illegal immigrants that, that actually enters South Africa and participates in the South African economy. Yes, he doesn't uh, provide tax, but he is actually providing a service um, that a lot of South Africans choose not to do. Where does that leave us? I think, for me at least, I think it's, it's, it's a matter of being contemplative about how we just label things. Of course, we do need uh, the rule of law and we do need order in the country. But speaking, for example, to Uncle Sid, um, who shares the stories that uh, that uh, from apartheid and so on, you realize that you know the things that that move us into this illegal space aren't always you know we think it's like you know smoking smoking weed or taking drugs. It's just a recreational thing, but there are times and xenophobia perhaps or, or foreigners is one particular case where you know s- circumstances push you into this illegal I- illegal frame and to live a life that is uncomfortable, a life that puts your family at risk that hurts families, mm. hurts children and so on. And and when people are placed in that, again I say, you know, that we should we should be going in with question marks rather than exclamation marks about, oh, you're illegal. Let's try and find out, you know, what is it that has pushed a person to this point and how can we maybe assist? Listen, if you if you do want to understand uh, an illegal immigrant story, um which is absolutely fascinating. You you need to read Johnny Steinberg's book called A Man of Good Hope. It follows the story of Assad uh, Abdullah. Um, he's a, a Cape Town-based guy, and his story is just absolutely incredible. Um, Assad is originally from Somalia, and it follows his journey from Somalia all the way to South Africa and what pushed him to come to Cape Town from Somalia. It is an absolutely fascinating story, um, well worth a read. Johnny Steinberg's A Man of Good Hope. Uh, hopefully, it will give you some kind of insight into some of the journeys that uh, are taken. Yeah, it's... a. Uh, w- the thing that we hope to do on the show all the time is just to 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 give South Africans and give everyone out there that's listening an experience of the things that we we speak so quickly about but have no experience of and uh you know reading such things i think take you into the stories and help you to understand so it, not necessarily that you might change your opinion on these things but perhaps when you express an opinion it's more informed we'll go ahead and put that up on twitter and uh, facebook as well at yebo underscore levy at rory shabalala yebo and uh, at cliffcentral.com. That's it from us today, this week. It is a long weekend. Have yourself a fantastic, fantastic weekend. May Day. Uh, Workers' Day, I believe. Is that right? Oh, it's Freedom Day. Freedom. Friend. You well, see, I don't even like, know. I don't even know. Weed. Oh my god, it's, it's the, the weed. weed. Yeah, it's the illegal <laughs> weed. Her. Um, it's May Day uh, this Monday. Have yourself a lovely weekend. No, it's Freedom Day. <laughs> No, it's May Day. Is it May Day or Freedom it's Day? Freedom is it the Day, same Andrew? thing? It's, it's the Freedom first Day. of May, right? The first of May. It's the 27th of April. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's Freedom Day. I apologize. And uh, to celebrate Freedom, Rory's actually going to be on uh, Cliff Central 6 to 9. Is that correct? Yeah. it's, it's On uh, Monday morning? forward to it. Three hours with you. We're going to look at all things freedom. Uh, have some interesting people in studio. Please join us. And uh, that's it from us. We'll have yourself a good weekend. The Sex Show with Jonty, Sexy Cider, and all sorts of interesting guests is up next. Change the world, everybody. Ciao, ciao.